following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. All right. Well, we're in this series in the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible handy, uh, you can get it out. Pinch one from the person beside you if you need to. But uh, get your Bible. If you've got it on the device, open up the uh, app. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Uh, just while you're finding your way there, let me just start with this kind of random story. Uh, I've, got, I've got a bit of a strange association with this passage in the Bible, this story in Acts chapter 10, because part of it, part of the story, happens in this town called Joppa, which is in Israel. It's a lovely little seaside town in Israel. And a group of us have been to Joppa. Uh, we took a group from church several years ago to Israel, and we spent a couple of weeks there. And Joppa was the first place we visited. First day, straight off the plane, straight off the bus, we arrived in Joppa. And it was lovely, but literally five minutes into our time in Joppa, the sirens started going off. And these are the anti-missile sirens in Israel, which tells you that there's been a rocket fired from, from the Gaza Strip over, and it's coming our way. So uh, our guide kind of hit us behind this pillar and, you, and we could look up and you could actually see where this, this rocket came over and then you could see the point where the anti-missile system came across and intercepted the rocket and the detonation point was right over our heads. So that was my experience in Joppa. That's my association now of this story when I read the Bible. That's great, isn't it, to have in your head? So uh, that, that was kind of random, but that's, um, that's now what I'm bringing to this passage. So uh, this story is about much more important things than missiles. Um, it's about mission. So Acts 10, I'm not going to read the whole passage today. Uh, it's a long story. I'd encourage you to read it in your own time. But I, I want to just tell you the story, and I'll draw a few, few verses out along the way. But this story in Acts 10, it revolves around a guy named Cornelius. So Cornelius... Was, uh, he was a Roman man. He was a Roman centurion, which means he was in the army. It means that he had command of 100 Roman soldiers, uh, which is a pretty senior kind of rank for a Roman officer. So he's quite a significant person. He had status. He had leadership in the Roman army. And uh, he was stationed at this place called Caesarea, uh, just up the, up the coast from Joppa. And this was the, the main outpost of the Roman army in Israel at the time. So uh, Cornelius is there, and, and Caesarea, I mean, the city itself, it's a beautiful spot, but it's also a very Roman kind of city. I mean, even the name, right? Caesar, Caesarea, it was completely dedicated to Caesar. And it uh, was emulating what you would find in the city of Rome, the Roman architecture, the Roman games and activities. It was full of Roman people. And uh, you've got the Roman army there in town as well as a pretty big presence. So you've got this guy here who's a, a very Roman man. He's in charge of a unit in the Roman army. And he's in this thoroughly Roman city. Like this is just his world. He's entrenched in this, in this empire. But Cornelius is also a God-fearer. That's the term that he's described with, a God-fearer. And what that means is that somewhere along the way, he had converted to Judaism, even though he wasn't Jewish. So he had started worshipping God, and he started going along to the synagogue, and started reading the Old Testament. And, and he was sympathetic and open to the God of Israel, and kind of followed 
the God of Israel, even though he was a Roman citizen. So people in that category, non-Jews that convert to Judaism and the Bible, they're called God-fearers, and Cornelius was one of those. So he, he prayed and, and he gave generously. He was a very moral kind of person, and he was very open to God's working in his life. So one day, an angel of God appears to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, I want you to send for this guy named Peter. He's staying down in Joppa. I want you to send for him. Bring him back to your place. I've given him a message that he's got for you. There's something I've put on his heart, and he's going to share it with you. So Cornelius sends a couple of servants and one of his soldiers. He had a lot of people under his command, so he could do this. He sends these people down the road to where Peter was staying. Now, Peter was in Joppa at the time. This is the apostle Peter. And God had prepared Peter for this arrival of Cornelius's men by giving him a vision of his own. Peter had just had this amazing vision of his own. And in this vision that Peter had, he saw this sheet being lowered down from heaven with all sorts of animals on it. And he see this happens three times. The sheet comes down, all kinds of animals, including animals that as a good Jewish man, Peter could not eat. So like pigs, you know, there was a whole range of animals here. And God says to him, Peter, get up and kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way. There is no way I'm going to eat any of these animals or some of these animals. This is like, this is not what I do. He was a very good Jewish man. He was a very observant Jew. He knew the law. He wasn't about to have, you know, a bacon burger. He needed to be observant and kosher. And so he says, no way. But God says to him, Peter, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. Now, there's a couple of layers going on there. At one level, that's a message about food, right? And God's saying, nothing's off limits now. You can have your bacon and eggs. That's fine. All food is good. But there's a deeper level, isn't there? You start to hear the story unfolding. You realize this isn't just about animals. This is about people. God's teaching Peter something about people here. The animals in the vision represent people. In fact, they they represent cultures, really. And God's saying, Peter, I don't want you to call any person impure that I have called pure or that I have made clean. And what, what God is doing here, God knew that before he could use Peter in this mission that he was about to give him, he had to do a work in Peter's heart. He had to deal with Peter's own cultural prejudice. Peter had a very strong sense of cultural superiority. And this was just the way it was for Jewish people. There was a very strong, rigid hierarchy of cultures and races. And they would look down on anyone who was outside of the Jewish people, outside of the chosen people. All these Gentiles out there, particularly these Romans that were overrunning the land, they would look down on them severely and see them as unclean, impure people. But God is saying, no, Peter, I I, want to reach people. I want to draw all people into my kingdom. I want to make all people part of my family. And so God is dealing with Peter's heart and showing him, Peter, I don't want you to say anymore, people, these people are unclean. These people are impure because I'm inviting all people now to know me. And this, I think, is an important word for us today before we go any further in the passage, right? I mean, this is, this is a timely message for us today, that before God can use us in his mission, before God can make us effective in his service, and, and even before God can mature us as Christians, he needs to deal with our own cultural prejudice, right? 
I mean, we, we can live with that same sense of cultural hierarchy sometimes, just often in very subtle ways. And I think God wants to do that same work in our hearts as he did in Peter's heart. And it's, it's, it's reflected to us particularly at, at, the, at the moment because of things going on in the U.S., but ultimately, the reason that we deal with this issue is not because of what is happening in our culture. It's not because of Black Lives Matter. It's not because of what the media chooses to focus on in any given moment. It's because it's here in the Bible. Right? I mean, that's why ultimately this is an important issue that God wants to deal with our cultural prejudice and really purge from us any ways in which we might be subtly looking down on people of other cultures. That's what God's doing in Peter's heart. Any ways in which there might be just that subtle tinge of racism, any ways in which there might just be that subtle condescension, that little patronizing spirit, that attitude where we have a little bit of a hierarchy or an exclusivity, God wants to uproot that from our hearts in order to make us mature Christians, in order to enable us to really participate in his mission to reach the nations. So God had to do that work in Peter's heart. God needs to do that work in our hearts, deal with our cultural prejudice. And then the Holy Spirit at the end of that vision says to Peter, now there's some people that have just arrived at the door. I want you to get up. I want you to go with them and you'll be told what to do. And so Peter goes and he takes a few Christians with him and they head on this journey up to Caesarea where Cornelius is stationed. And they arrive at Cornelius' house. Cornelius has already got quite a gathering there by the time Peter gets there. He's invited all his friends and family. He's got all his mates there. And he welcomes Peter in. I mean, for Peter, even to go into the house of a Gentile was a big deal. So you have to appreciate like the, the cultural barriers that Peter's overcoming here just by going into Cornelius' house. And Cornelius says to him, we believe that God's given you a message for us, Peter. He talks about his own vision. And he says, we want to hear what God's got to tell you, got to say through you. And Peter is never one to waste an opportunity. So he launches in. He's got his speech ready to go. And he just starts talking. And he tells them, you can read his speech there. And he tells them about Jesus. He talks about the life of Jesus. He talks about the death of Jesus. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And he gets to the end of that. And he has this great final line. He says, all the prophets testify about him, that's Jesus, that everyone who calls on him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And with that, Cornelius and his family, they believe, they have faith. Their eyes are opened to the reality of the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They get up, they're baptized, they become believers, and they're added to the church. Now, if you've, if you've tracked through the book of Acts with us on this journey, you might notice a few little similarities here with what happened on, back on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, some of you might be making some of those connections because there's a lot of similar stuff that goes on in both of those stories. In both cases, you've got people who hear the gospel. You've got people who respond positively to it. You've got people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got people who are given the gift of speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages. You've got people who are baptized and then they're added to the church. It's like these two parallel stories. So sometimes Acts 10 gets called the Gentile Pentecost 
It's like what happened to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, because that was just a Jewish thing. That was just a Jewish phenomena. But now that is happening to the Gentiles as well. Now God's message is going beyond just the Jewish people. Now it's going out to the nations, just like it did with that Ethiopian that Philip talked to back in Acts 8. Now God's message is moving out into new territories. It's encountering new people groups. It's transforming new cultures. It's moving further than ever before. Now the Gentiles, Gentiles are being gathered in, not just the Jews. And if Peter had looked back through his Old Testament, which he probably did, he would have realized this was no big surprise because this is exactly what God promised that he would do. I mean, this wasn't just something like spur of the moment that God decided, why don't I just you know, start reaching some new people? This was always the plan, always the plan. Going right back to Abraham, right back to the father of the Jewish faith. God calls Abraham. And what did he say to him? Abraham, through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Right? I mean, that's the promise there back in Genesis was when God made that promise. And then when he called Israel, he said, I'm making you a light to the nations. In other words, this isn't just for you. My goal, my desire is to reach all people through you. God's intention was always to reach the nations. It's just that for hundreds of years, no one knew how it was going to happen until Jesus shows up. And then you recognize now it's happening through him. It's through Jesus as the savior of humanity. Now God's good news, now his love, now his, his redeeming grace is going out beyond just the Jewish people. It's for Jews as well, but now it's for all the nations. Now the floodgates are open. Now the Gentiles are finally being gathered and now God is reaching all people. So what happens to Cornelius in Acts 10 is really a fulfillment of everything that God had promised all the way back through the biblical story, all the way back to Abraham. It's the fulfillment of a long, long story. Now the message is going out further than it has before. And God is still doing this, right? I mean, 2,000 years later, the story continues. You know, we hear the work of Nasi Twan, many other nations. The word of God and the ministry of the gospel is going into new territories, to new nations, new people groups. God is still the God of the nations. And he's still reaching people all around the world. This is the same mission that's going on today that was going on in Acts 10. That's the same story that God's writing today. Now it's just happening in different ways. And sometimes I think we don't see it. Because we live in the West. And in Western culture, what do we see? We see decline. We see institutional religion going down. We see the church struggling. And so we think, oh, well, you know, what's God doing? And where's God at work? But I think sometimes we've just got to lift up our eyes to look at the nations. Right? We've got to lift up our eyes to see a little bit more of a global picture of what God is actually doing around the world. Because as soon as you get outside the West, Christianity is going crazy. You look at Latin America, you look at Asia, you look at Africa, you look at parts of the Middle East, Christianity is booming. Just look at China. In the middle of the 20th century, there were 4 million Christians in China. Today, almost 100 million. So in you know, 70 years, massive exponential increase. There's more Christians in China today than there are members of the Communist Party. It's amazing. And in a country where there are heavy restrictions around church attendance and church gathering and, and a state that's not overly sympathetic to the gospel and to Christians, Christianity is booming. 
millions of people coming to faith in Jesus in China. That's just one example. God is at work among the nations. The question is, how is he doing it? And the answer is, he's doing it through people. God always uses people to reach people. That's just how it works. I mean, you think about Cornelius. What was his experience? So an angel of God shows up to Cornelius. Now that angel could have told Cornelius everything he needed to know. Right? God could have just sent the angel. He could have just said, Cornelius, here's the deal. Jesus died. He rose again. You need to confess your sins. You need to become a Christian. You can get baptized right now. The angel could have dealt with the whole thing. I mean, that would have been so much less travel for everybody, would have been less hassle, would have needed less visions. It just would have been much simpler. But God didn't do that. What did God do? He shows up to Peter and he says, I want you to go. I want you to go and reach Cornelius. God uses people to reach people, just like he used Philip to reach the Ethiopian. Now he's using Peter to reach Cornelius. All the way through the story, this is just who God is, like it or not. He uses people to reach people. Now, the heart of this story, I think, and this is the challenge for us today, is just four words, and they're found in verse 20. Have a look. Four words in verse 20, God says, or the Holy Spirit says to Peter, so get up and go. Those four words, get up and go. That's all you need to know today. If you've got a pen, you can underline those four words. If you've got a highlighter, you could highlight them. Have a little smiley face there, a couple of arrows maybe. Draw attention to those four words. Get up and go. That is God's word for you today, people. That's all you need to know. It might look like a whole lot of different things, but that's what God's calling us to do. Get up and go. Now you might say, well, hang on. That was just Peter. And this is quite a specific situation. And he's obviously not calling me to go to Caesarea. So, you know, isn't this kind of a culturally specific thing and we can't really apply it to today? Well, the, get up and go. That's really just an expression of the great command, the great commission that Jesus already gave us, right? Well, Jesus used exactly the same word when he said, go and reach the nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus told us that. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are under the Great Commission. We can't escape that. This is, this is our Savior. This is what Jesus has told us. We are under the Great Commission. He has told us to go. He has called us to go. He has commissioned us to go. I heard someone the other day talking about, um, you know the game Simon Says? And people do actions and you try and follow the actions and mimic what they're doing. And this guy was talking about how there's a weird Christian version of that game that we play called Jesus Says. And basically how it works is Jesus says something and instead of doing it, we memorize it. So, so we read the Great Commission and we're like, that seems really important. I know what I'll do with that. I'll memorize that. Right? And now memorizing it is great. Nothing wrong with memorizing the Bible. The problem is one day we're going to stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and he's going to say, so I gave you this commission. I gave you this command, the last thing I said before I left the earth. It's written in red in your Bible. You know, I wanted to draw attention to it. What did you do with it? And we're going to say, well, Jesus, I memorized it. <laughs> I even memorized it in the NIV. Isn't that the version that you use, Jesus? And he'll say, look, that's great that you memorized it. But I wanted you to go. 
I called you to go. I told you to go because I wanted you to go, not because I wanted you to memorize it. It's great that you sat around doing a Bible study on it, but how about actually doing it? Jesus called us to go. So when you get to Acts 10, all that's happening is Peter is, is doing what Jesus has already told him to do. He's going. He's actually just getting up and he's going. And every one of us are called in some way to go. Yes, it's God's initiative, of course. Mission is always God's initiative. And you see that time and time again in this passage. You've got angels, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the, the vision. It's God's initiative. But God works through people. And God's using people to reach people today. And every one of us, if we call ourselves a Christian, in some way, we are called to get up and go. We are called to be a part of this thing. We're called to be part of this mission in some way. Now, you say, well, does that mean I need to pack my bags and go to Malawi? What, you know, how does this affect me? What should I do? Let me just try to break this down and make it really, really practical. Okay, I want to mention three ways, three ways in which we could be called to go. Three ways in which we can get up and go. And in one way or another, one of these three ways will apply to you. Every one of us is in this space somewhere. So as I'm talking, I want you to be thinking, what is God saying? How is he stirring my heart? How might he be calling me to go? The first way in which God calls us to go is that some people are called to stay. Now that might sound a little bit weird. You could be called to go by being called to stay. But here's the reality. Right now, there are multitudes of people on the mission field internationally. All sorts of people serving in all sorts of countries. There's a whole lot of Kiwis on the mission field. Kiwis make great missionaries, by the way, because we're adaptable, we're practical, we're useful, we're pragmatic people. We are excellent missionaries. New Zealand used to have one of the highest missionary sending numbers per capita in the world. Let's tape it off now. But in order to support all this work that's going on, all these missions agencies that are working in multiple countries, it takes Christians back home sowing into that mission work through praying and through giving primarily. There are these two ways in which we can foster mission back at home. Now, you've had one way of doing this this morning by listening to Nasi Twan and the stories of what God is doing in that country and the ways in which we can participate in that by praying and by giving. That is how mission is resourced and that is the calling that many people have, is to feed in and fuel in and resource mission from our own place to enable other people to go to the mission field. There's a range of other things. I think what you can do is just start to raise your awareness of what's going on. You could jump on the Nazi Twan website. There's other organizations that our church is connected to. Freeset in India, helping women out of sex trafficking. That's, a, that's an incredible Example of mission, again, holistic mission that is reaching the whole person. And that mission has huge needs. That organization has huge needs for resourcing and support. Jump on the Freeset website. Just have a read. Just start to care about what's going on. Um, OMF, another missions agency. Bright Hope World that uh, Michael and Carolyn are involved in. There's missions agencies. Just start spending a bit of time just reading. And as you're reading, God might just get a hold of your heart and say, you know, I want you to actually start investing in this, in this work. You know, I want you to start maybe coming alongside. There could be a, a missionary, maybe a single person or a couple or a family that's on the mission field right now. You could become part of their support structure. Every missionary personal family needs a very robust support structure in order to function and flourish and thrive in a range of different ways. You could be the pillar that holds up one of those people 
who's serving internationally right now. You could be part of their system, part of their support structure. You say, I don't know where to start. Talk to Andrew for a start. Talk to one of us. We will point you in the right direction. But as much as anything, jump online and just start reading some of the stories in some of these organizations of the work that God is doing and let God get a hold of your heart. Start there. Start praying. And God will guide you to the work that he wants you to sow into. That might be your calling, is to stay and resource mission from home. So some people are called to stay. Secondly, you might be called to go local. Now, in some sense, all of us are called to this, right? Because we're all called to look around us and we're all called to be active and sharing our faith and showing the love of Jesus to people in our own backyard. But for you, that might be a real stirring is to say, you know, I can reach people right here where I am. You know, the reality is we talk about reaching the nations. The nations are here, right? I mean, Auckland is one of the most multi-ethnic cities on the planet, the nations are on our doorstep. They are here. So if we want to reach cross-culturally, if we want to do mission work of any kind, we can do that mission work here. And that's not to say we shouldn't go. I'll talk about that in a moment. But we can, we can reach people right here. And the stirring of your heart might be to reach more intentionally and proactively into your own neighborhood. It might be to reach into some of the communities around us, your school or university campus or even your, your, your working environment or in your, your own family, but to be more intentional. You can jump on board with some of the community things that we've got going. There's, there's people who are serving students up the road at Massey University. Huge mission field right on our doorstep as a church. Thousands of students, including many, many international students that we have opportunity to serve and come alongside and walk alongside. There's already people from our church doing this in various ways. You could come and, and, and join in with what they're doing. We run CAP life skills. We run CAP money courses. You could be part of the team that's putting those together. We've got people working and volunteering in uh, retirement villages uh, in a chaplaincy kind of way, just working and being encouraging and being a presence there with the residents in those places. You can start to give some time to this. You can start to give some focus to this. You can start to be part of what God is doing in your own backyard locally. There's opportunities to reach out to homeless communities and on the North Shore increasingly now and in the CBD. There's opportunities there and maybe if God is getting a hold of your heart and saying, hey, I want you to start having some conversations. Again, come and talk to us. We've got teams of people involved in these different things and it's wonderful when God will touch a couple of different hearts with the same kind of idea and we can connect people together and start to form new ministry where those new opportunities present themselves. So if that's the stirring that you've got, maybe God's saying to you today, I want you to go local. I want you to think local. Maybe you're reaching the nations, but you're doing it right here in Auckland. So maybe you're called to stay. Maybe you're called to go local. Thirdly, here's the biggie. Maybe you're called to go global. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word missionary, it's got a whole lot of baggage for me. It's got a whole lot of connotations. I don't know. Maybe it was because in the church that I grew up in, when we had missionaries come and talk, you know, and they'd give like a missions report, it was the most boring Sunday of the year. You know, for some reason, they just didn't seem like the most interesting people in the world. You know, it's sort of these, I don't know, it didn't really grab your heart. That was probably more a reflection on me and my, my youthful ignorance. But as God has kind of opened my eyes to what's going on in the world and what, what he's doing and the multitude of ways that missions can look like, it's not just one thing. There's so many different types of work, you know, social compassion and concern and helping and encouraging, mentoring, church planting, community aid and development, all sorts of things that God is doing. 
and wonderful stories of how he's at work among the nations. Missions is far more dynamic than I ever believed it was. We've got some friends at the moment on the mission field in Central Asia, and they shared a little story a while ago about a young man in one of the nearby villages where they'd been working who had become a Christian through the mentoring of a local pastor. And once this guy, he was, he was formerly a Muslim, and once he became a Christian, he started to face some pretty strong persecution from some of the other locals in town, just, just kind of antagonism towards him and just a real you know, challenging of this new faith that he had. And the strongest opposition that he had was from the leader of the local mosque. And that guy was not happy that he'd become a Christian. And he started paying regular visits around to this guy's house and telling him all the reasons why this was wrong. He needed to stop reading the Bible, uh, stop praying to Jesus. He needed to come back to the mosque, come back to the Quran. And the, the, the antagonism got worse, and it, it even kind of escalated to some threats of violence against him, and this guy was starting to become quite fearful. But each time, he would just calmly talk about his faith and just say, no, I've made this decision. I, I'm following Jesus. This is, this is the way. Well, one day, this mosque leader came around to his house, and the guy assumed this would be another kind of difficult encounter. But the mosque leader said to him, look, I've been thinking about this faith that you've got, and I'd like to know more about Jesus. Could you just tell me a little bit more about this savior that you have, this Jesus that you follow? So the guy started talking to him. And after a while, after several conversations and meetings, that guy becomes a Christian. The leader of the mosque becomes a Christian. So then, as a mo- I mean, you can appreciate this creates a few workplace difficulties, you know, <laughs> when you're a mosque leader. So he had to take a leave of absence from the mosque to try and get his head straight on all of this. And then eventually he came back into the mosque context one Sunday and he stands up. And when the time comes in the service to read from the Quran, instead of reading from the Quran, he starts reading from the Bible and starts talking about Jesus and how Jesus is the one that we should truly be following. It's an incredible story. You know? Now, that's going to be complex and that's going to cause its own problems. And there'll be all sorts of dynamics there that are going to be tricky to work through. So I don't mean to sort of glamorize these stories, nor do I mean to suggest that that is happening in every missions context in the world, because it's not. There's some places where you could labor for years and years and years and not see a lot of spiritual fruit. So there's all kinds, there's all contexts. But God is doing many, many exciting things among the nations. There's many Kiwis right now on the mission field. But do you know for many people where it started? It started in a church service like this. And here's where it gets scary. Because there have been church services just like this one. When God has said to someone in the midst of that service, and however way he does it, probably not an audible voice, but just that prompting of your heart, he has said to them, I want you to go. I heard another story of a Kiwi woman the other day who this is exactly what happened to her. She had no comprehension or intention of going to the mission field. And in this church service, God said, I want you to go to Colombia. They've now spent 12 years on the mission field in Colombia. She's been working with prostitutes over there. See, God does this. This is the scary thing. God will actually do this if your heart is open. It's just exactly what he did in the book of Acts. You look at Acts 13. And it's while the church was worshiping that God said, set aside for me, Paul and Barnabas. Sometimes God does this. He decides to take the opportunity while we're in church to say things to people and to get a hold of people's lives. And who's to say this morning it might not be you? So here's my question. If God, in whatever way he wanted to do it this morning, made it clear to you that he was calling you out of your cultural context into another country, another culture, 
that was strange and unfamiliar in order to do his work in that country, what would your response be? Yeah, that's right. I know, it's scary. And there's a, there's a hundred reasons, right? And we would be thinking, well, hang on, but I've got a job. And I, what about my family? And what about COVID? You know, and, and this is no way this could possibly ever happen. The reality is it takes years of preparation to get to the mission field. So there's no point saying, well, I can't go now because of COVID, right? Paul took 15 years to prepare before he ever went on any significant mission venture. So God might be saying to you today, I want you to start preparing because I'm going to send you somewhere. I'm going to start placing a people on your heart. I'm going to start placing a nation on your heart. You're not going to be able to shake it until you go. But I want you to start learning the language. I want you to start learning the culture. I want to start connecting you with some other people. I want to start connecting you with an agency. I want to start, I'm preparing you. Some of you, maybe God is stirring your heart even now. And you've just got that sense, maybe God is calling me to go. We've got all these reasons why it could never happen. Because, you know, I've got my finances here and everything else and my job and this and that. And it may be, and I've done no training. But it could be the furthest thing from your mind. But just think about Peter. He was just a fisherman. And then he made that crazy choice to start following Jesus. Jesus shows up one day and says, Peter, follow me. And Peter followed him. And now he's using him to reach Cornelius. This is what happens when ordinary people start listening to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, you know, come follow me and I'll give you a nice, comfortable, cushy life. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's, I mean, like it or not, friends, this is what you signed up for. You know, I don't know who you thought you were following, but this is the rabbi from Nazareth we decided to follow. And if we're going to name him as Savior and Lord, then we'd better listen to what he's got to say. And the last thing he said to us before leaving this planet was go. So he didn't just say, come to me. He did say that, but he didn't just say that. He also said, go. Go and make disciples. And it may be that God is calling you this morning to go.